All right, thank you, worship team. I kind of am under the assumption right now that all of you know who Robbie Dawkins is. So I'm not going to introduce him other than to say that uh, he's had a profound impact on my life, uh, had a powerful impact on my family's life, and is kind of special to our family. And he has uh, been a real motivating force here in our church's life and what God's been doing here over the last couple of years. So uh, without further ado, Robbie Dawkins. Thank you. It's always such a joy to come here. This is the first time they've ever had the courage to allow me to speak to you on Sunday morning. (laughs) But having said that, do you appreciate your pastors? I told the other services, you better or I'll beat you up. I'll pray for your healing afterwards. (laughs) No, I won't. (laughs) It's a great joy to be here, and it's so good to be, uh, just to see all the enthusiasm, just the people that went out yesterday, that was just amazing, and uh, just seeing God move, and I wanted somebody to go out with me, but the people who asked me, they abandoned me, left me by myself, so I just went across the street over across Colrain, and uh, just back in some of that area, and started praying for people, and Saw some couple people healed. I was hoping to see a couple of them this morning, but I don't see them here. So, but anyway, it was a that was a blast. I love doing that. Uh, really quick, we've got some resources for you if you didn't make the weekend and you'd like to know more about growing and stuff of the spirit and operating and healing and things like that. We've got uh, tons of stuff to help do that. Uh, Van was talking earlier about the School of Kingdom Ministry applications. I want to really press you to do that. Um, it is that th- this school is a very powerful, powerful equipping tool and uh, thing to just get you going. And it's always good when you can do it as a community, when you can get as many people as possible engaging in it. And, you know, um, uh, the, the, the director of the school is a really wise, very brilliant minded man and, and kingdom man. And, uh, we have his book, the, the manual that, and you've got it sitting back at the table, but it's called the school of kingdom ministry. Uh, this is the first year manual, but it's it, if you weren't for some reason able to take the, the class and do that, uh, just going through this will give you just tons of stuff. It'll, it'll give you, I mean, it's like going to school for a year, really. But it doesn't read like a textbook. It really reads almost like a book and giving you application things. And so we have these for you back there. Uh, we've got my book back there, Do What Jesus Did. The premise of this book is don't just ask the question, actually do it. Otherwise, you'll go, what would Jesus do? That sounds scary. I'm never doing that. And um, the, the whole point of it, the whole point of Jesus' life, you know, it was to come and, you know, seeking to save that which was lost. Uh, but part of that, too, was coming to demonstrate to us who we are. And he didn't come to show us what he could do. He came to show us what we could do and what he wants us to do. And so, uh, anyway, that's the, the premise of this and gives us the permission to step out and do that. I had a friend of mine write the foreword for it because he's trying to get a writing career going, and I thought I'd try to help him out. And so I asked Bill Johnson to do the foreword for it. He's just getting started, you know, trying to give the man a leg up. But anyway, uh, we also have copies of the movies for you back there, Finger of God, Furious Love. How many of you have seen these movies? 
Well, if you haven't, you should get them. This is really uh, very powerful and just talking about uh, it will inspire you to want to go out and do more and see more happen and really equip you, especially giving you a live demonstration where you're just not reading about other people doing it, but you can see us in action and doing it. And they've been very helpful with that. Um, and then also, uh, I did a conference in Lexington, Kentucky called Go- the Going Deeper uh, Conference. And this is talking about taking your prayer experiencing the presence, your passion for God, and experiencing God's power in your life all to deeper levels and how to do that. It's a four DVD set and talks about how to step into that. Also, I did a teaching called um, The Identity Thief, and this is a two DVD set. It's about three hours of teaching explaining how that Satan has stolen our identity and he's stolen our power and how for us to get that back. Jesus came to, to restore that. And to, uh, you know, put it back into our lives. And this is just going through explaining how that he robs us on an ongoing basis. Not just how he did it, but how he continues to do it. Let me tell you something. Satan is empowered by our unbelief. That's what keeps him going. And, and this is talking about how to reverse that and how to turn that around. And then also we did a conference last uh, Jan- this past January. Your pastors were at it called Doing the Stuff, Equipping the Saints, Doing the Stuff 2 conference. This was Randy Clark and myself. Also Diane Lehman did one and Phil Strout did one. But this was uh, it, Randy Clark's staff uh, said it was the most powerful preaching and teaching they've ever heard him do. And I would second that. I've heard Randy a lot. As a matter of fact, I'll be with Randy this coming weekend in Fresno doing another conference together. But this really is the best I've ever heard Randy ever do. And, and it's just a really was a really powerful conference. And if you weren't able to attend it, this is the nine DVD set and how to do that. This is Jordan Wright, who's my assistant traveling with me. And he's a awesome guy. Um, God's really got his hand on him and really gifted in ministry as well. Um, turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to uh, Luke chapter 5. Now, before we get started, I need to kind of give you a little bit of a disclaimer here. You have to understand, you know, you guys are used to a little bit more of like a highbrow preaching teaching around here. I mean, you're, you're kind of used to, you know, um, Van and, 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 you know, the guys who preach and teach around here and, and you have to realize that, I mean, you got to bring it down today. Bring your expectations down today to as if you're hearing like a junior higher preacher or something. Because I'm not as sharp and, and, you know, not as, you know, don't look quite as preppy as Van does and can't pull that off. And, and uh, you know, and just speaking wise, I mean, so you gotta, you got to bring it down for me. To, you got to remember for the past 18 years, I've been pastoring in the hood. You know, and so, like, I mean, half of my church, you know, had been incarcerated. I mean, we had, you know, when we would have to do background checks for people working in children's ministry, we had to lower the bar from anybody who had just been in jail. It had to be sex offenses and stuff like that that kept them out, you know, because we just, everybody, my associate pastor, you know, had, had been in prison for dealing drugs before. So, I mean, that, that's just, that's, that was just our church, you know, we had... You know, prostitutes, drug dealers, drug addicts, you know, gang members, you know, all sorts come to our church. And so I say that so that you understand that, you know, I've been there. I mean, you know, I, I have to kind of be a little bit more animated and blah, 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 you know, because most of our crowd, half of them were on methadone trying to get off heroin. So, you know, we just had to keep them awake through the message. So, so give me a little grace today to not be as sharp as what you're used to. Okay. Will you do that? And so... 
I want to take a look at Luke chapter 5, and I want to kind of break this down, but let me set this up. You have to understand that we sort of think that Jesus and his disciples knew everything before it happened. And everything that happened, they knew exactly what was going to happen as it happened. And I want to tell you, I don't believe that that's true. I don't, I don't, the Bible says, according to Philippians chapter 2, that Jesus left his superhero God powers in heaven. He came like a normal human being, and the source of his power was the power of the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit's available to you and I. So Jesus didn't have any greater advantage than we do. You know, so he left all those superhero God powers in heaven. He came just like a normal human being and was filled with the Spirit. And so Jesus had no greater advantage than we do. So you have to keep that in mind. So they didn't know what's happened is how many of you grew up in church, catechism classes, stuff like that. You grew up, you know, so many of us have grown up in that or we've seen movie versions of the Bible and stuff like that. So we know what's going to happen next in the story. These guys had no idea what was going to happen next. And if you look, Jesus asked them to do some pretty whacked stuff that doesn't make any sense. And they don't know if it's going to work or not. They don't know. We're not even sure Jesus knew if it was going to work. Because, again, he came as a normal human being, just like you and me, with no greater advantage. So with that in mind, I want us to take a look at the context. But you have to, again, keep in mind, we've heard the stories, having grown up. How many of you remember flannel graph? You remember the blue boards in Sunday school that were, you know, that they put the cartoon characters on and they stuck to it and, you know, they were up. You remember those things of flannel graph? We have to realize my parents, our, our flannel graph was hand-me-down, second-hand flannel graph because we, our, our church was poor. And so we, you know, first Second Baptist Church, Chattahoochee, and, you know, donated their a flannel graph to us. So ours was a little jacked up. And so I grew up most of my life thinking Peter was an amputee. Somebody had torn off Peter's leg, and so I was like, I don't get it. Jesus could multiply the bread and the fish, but he couldn't give Peter a new leg. It never made sense to me. So you have to realize, you know, we kind of come with this sort of, you know, perspective of what we've heard and seen, but these guys had no idea. With that in mind, let's take a look at this passage. Now, how many of you know Luke is a man? Luke's a man. Now, how many of you ladies know men skip details? Right? Men skip details. It's like it's in our job description. Just to shorten things down, give the condensed version. I was gone with Van for almost two and a half weeks to Zimbabwe. When we got back, my wife picked me up at the airport and said, how did it go? I gave her 10 minutes what happened over two and a half weeks. Why? Because men skip details. Right, ladies? Okay. So Luke is a dude. Let's pretend he skips some details. And I'm going to fill in the blank for what I think those details may have looked like. You know, it's just my idea. So give me a little grace to do that. But let's read what the text says first. If one day Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. Every time Van goes to the grocery store, that happens to him. People in the community, they just push him right up against the dairy aisle and they say, teach us the word of God. I mean, it's just like, man, he's just pressed up against it. It's, it's, it's follow him. Watch. You'll see. Great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge for the fishermen had left them and they were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push out into the water. So he sat down from the boat. He taught the crowds from there. When he was finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now, let's go out where it's deeper and catch some fish. All right, that's what the text says. Will you let me fill in the blanks? 
Will you give me the grace to do that? Okay. So this is what I think it looked like. Now, you have to understand, anybody who does public speaking knows if you don't have a sound system, you got to get distance from your crowd. you got to get away from your crowd in order to project your voice, in order for them to hear you. Otherwise, they can't hear you. Jesus is up against the water's edge. He can't go any further back. And so he's looking for, you know, some place to where he can get out in the water so people can hear him. He looks over. Now, Peter and his crew, how long have they been fishing? All night long. How much fish have they caught? Zero. No fish. How many of you know fishermen without fish are mean and nasty people? They're not nice people to be with. My, my family, they're from like Texas and Georgia. And every time we plan a family reunion, we have to plan it near a body of water or my cousin, male cousins won't come. Because they can't have a conversation with me without having a fishing pole in their hand. It's just what guys in the South do. So anyway, that's kind of like what this is like. So here, Peter's over here. He's been, they've been fishing. They haven't caught anything. So I imagine that looks something like this. Peter's like, get those seashells out of that net. Get that seaweed out of there. I can't believe all this garbage in here. Is that a Coke can? Get it out of there. Get that bicycle tire out of there. I can't believe people throw their garbage in this lake. Don't they know we have to fish in this lake? We've been fishing all night long. We haven't caught a thing. I got to go home. I got to tell my wife. She's going to say, where's the money? Where's the fish? I'm going to say, we don't have any money. We don't have any fish. And my mother-in-law lives with us. She's going to say, I told you you should have married Barnabas. He's an accountant. He's bringing home a paycheck. I hate this job. I know Luke doesn't say any of that. Remember, men skip details, okay? About that time, Jesus comes over and says, Hey, Peter, would you lend me your boat? I imagine Peter looks at him and says, you know what? You can have the stupid boat. I hate these boats. I hate this net. If eBay was here, I'd sell it for five bucks, but it's not. Right now, I want to chop it up and sell it at firewood. Yes, take the boat. And Jesus is like, dude, I only want to borrow your boat, man. So he steps in. He pushes out. Peter and his crew keep cleaning. Right about the time they get the nets perfectly clean. And they're nicely hung up to dry in the nice, warm, Middle Eastern sun. And they're grabbing their lunch pails, heading home. Jesus stops and says, hey, Peter, I've got an idea. Let's go fishing. I imagine Peter looks at him and goes, you're not from around here, are you? This is the Middle East. I don't know if you've heard, but fish are cold-blooded creatures. When the sun comes out, do you see that yellow disc in the sky? That's called the sun. When that's up, fish go low to get away from that. And they aren't even out there at night. We proved that all night long last night. You need to go build an armoire or something because you know nothing about fishing. But then Peter says something profound. He says, but... Because you say so, we will. Because you say so, we will. Can you imagine Peter now trying to talk his crew back into the boat? Come on, guys, let's just go back. Grab the nets, let's go. They're like, no, Peter. Have you lost your mind? Are you really taking fishing tips from the rabbi? Seriously, 
This guy knows nothing about fishing. Come on, Peter. He's nuts. No, we're not going back. We need to go sleep so we'll be ready for the next night. No, we're not going. Peter's like, oh, please, oh, please. Maybe he'll give us a tip or something. I can get my mother-in-law off my back. Please, just come back into the boat. And finally, he talks them and coaxes them back into the boat. What about all of Peter's other fishermen buddies at shore? The other crews. And they're going, hey, Peter, what are you doing? Are you going fishing? Have you lost your mind? Peter's like, yes. Yes, I am. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And they're like, hey, look at crazy Peter. He thinks there's fish out there. When the sun's out, hey, look at him. He's actually going back out. Look at him go. As Peter does the row of shame out to the middle of the lake. And Peter gets out there and he's like, all right. Obviously, you don't know what fishing looks like. And you want an example. So this is what we do. We take the nets that should be dry and light, but now they're wet and heavy because they're not dried out. But we take them, we throw them over the edge, and usually you wait for fish, but they're not there. Do you get it? You better have a tip for me. And then Jesus stops and says, Peter, I know what's wrong. You see, you have your net on the wrong side of the boat. It's easy. If you simply pick your net up from this side of the boat and put it over on that side of the boat, (laughs) you catch fish. And Peter's like, really? Really? Let me get this straight, Jesus. You think six, eight feet over, lying under the brim of the water, there are fish under there going, We're over there. They don't know we're over here. Shh, they'll never know. Trust me, Jesus, that's not happening. But because you say so, we will. Come on, guys. They're like, no, Peter, don't do it. The other crews are watching back at shore. Don't do it, Peter. And Peter's like, come on, guys. Let's just get this over with and show them they're not there. And he picks them up and they start moving over. And then all the crews back at shore are going, Hey, Peter, what are you doing? Do you really think there's fish on the other side of the boat? And Peter's like, no, I don't. I really don't. And they're like, hey, look at crazy Peter. What an idiot. Look at him. Look at him go. As Peter walks over and drops the nets in shame. But you know what happens? All of a sudden, Peter's like, we got fish. Pull the net up. They pull the net up. Drop it in the boat. They drop it in the boat. Put it down again. They drop it down again. More fish. Pull it up. Drop it in the boat. Drop it down again. They were under there all night (laughs) laughing at us. We were on the wrong side. Do you realize this doesn't make any sense? You understand this doesn't make any sense? Jesus' direction to them makes no sense whatsoever. And all of a sudden, Peter's like, wait a minute. I got another boat back at shore. And Peter's like, hey, get that boat out here. 
there. We got fish. Not that side of the boat. The other side. Put an X on it. That's a sweet spot side. That's where we fish from from here on out. And then all the other crews are like, crazy Peter was right. He was right. That rabbi dude, dude, what he's talking about? Get the boats, get the nets, let's get out there. And they all start coming out. The Bible says that Peter and his two boats are filled with fish. And they barely make it back to shore. Sinking nearly the entire way. And then all of a sudden it hits Peter. Peter crawls out of the boat. And he realizes, it's not my skill. It's not my ability that caught the fish. The difference was the presence that was on the boat. The presence on the boat made all the difference. And Peter climbs out of the boat and he realizes this. And the Bible says he drops to his knees and he looks at Jesus and he says, Jesus, you need to go away from me right now. A guy as good as you shouldn't be close to a sinner like me. You need to go as far away from me as possible. You shouldn't be this close to a guy like me. Jesus, if, if you hang around me, you'll be disappointed. I, I disappoint everybody. Yeah, Jesus, you, you just need to go right now. Jesus looks at him and goes, oh, Peter, you don't get it. I didn't make you to catch fish. I made you to catch people. You've been going after minnows your whole life. And you were made for the big catch. You were made for the big catch. I made you to catch people. Guys, what did Peter want? Fish. What did Jesus give him? Fish. Peter wanted fish, but you know what Jesus wanted? Because you say so, we will. Even when it doesn't make sense. Even when it sounds crazy. Even when it doesn't add up. Just simply because you say so, we will. Jesus is saying, I can build a church on that that hell itself can't stand against. I can build a church on that that will go for thousands of years and hell won't overtake it. Peter wanted fish. And then Jesus turns and looks at Peter and he goes, hey, Peter, follow me. Have you ever noticed there's not much of a pitch in that? It's not much there. Follow me. But the Bible says... Peter abandons the boats, the nets, the fish, and follows Jesus. Peter had probably been praying and crying out to God all night long for those fish. And he just walks away from them to follow Jesus. Matthew wanted money. He was a tax collector. Probably sitting with the table full of money. Jesus walks up to him and just says, hey, Matthew, follow me. And the Bible says, Matthew abandons his table 
and follows him. Probably filled with money. Can you imagine these guys walking past their family members? And then saying, excuse me, where are you going? Following him. To do what? He didn't say. For how long? He didn't say that either. And why are you doing this? Because everything inside of me screams out to be where the presence is. I don't care what I look like. I don't care what I have to forsake. I've got to be where he's at. I've got to be where the presence is. No matter what, nothing else matters. I need that presence on my boat because that boat represented Peter's life. That represented Peter's life. And when Jesus says, Peter, would you lend me your boat? He was saying, Peter, if you lend me your life, we'll do far more with it than you could ever do. And that was a prophetic picture with those nets and those fish in that boat. And in the day of Pentecost, it was fulfilled when Peter stood up with the presence of God filling his life and thousands came running. Thousands came forward, just like those fish into those nets. Will you lend him your boat? Will you lend him your boat when it doesn't make sense? You just say because you say so. We will. What about it when it could ruin your reputation? We're all saying, Lord, I'll go pray for my neighbor to be healed. If you'll guarantee me, they'll be healed. I don't want to go do it and not have a guarantee from you. Do you realize that's no faith at all? Having a guarantee is not going by faith. It requires risk. I'll share my faith with people, but I want to guarantee they're going to come to you. Then I'll go. That makes us Lord and not him. Will we just say, because you say so, we will. Even when it doesn't make sense. What about when it can mean your life? One day at our church, we had the number two guy in the Latin Kings. His girlfriend started coming to our church. And she began to visit, and about, after being there about a month, every year I would do a series on sex. And I would break down and explain what sex is and what God's plan for sex was. Sex is a blessing for marriage, and it's God's blessing on marriage. And it's how he blesses it, and the only sex that is blessed is, is, a ble- is, is sex that's in marriage, because that's God's plan, and that's God's best. Anything outside of that is sin, and it breaks God's heart. And God's design is sex is between a man and a woman. Anything outside of that is not God's best for our lives. And God wants us to have the best. Well, his girlfriend was sitting there. His street name is Hitler. Her name is Elena. And she's sitting there in the church. She hears this. And so she goes back to Hitler and she says, I'm not having sex with you anymore. Because Robbie said, (laughs) sex outside of marriage is sin and it breaks God's heart. And I'm not going to break God's heart. You can imagine what happened. This warm feeling came across him. Tears began to stream down his face, and he said, I love Robbie. We're going to do whatever that man says. That's what I fantasize happened, but that's not exactly what happened. He looked at her, and he goes, you will tell that preacher that I'm coming there next Sunday, and if he doesn't get up in front of the whole church and say he was wrong and take it back, then I'm popping him in the head in front of the whole church. 
And she calls me on the phone and she's crying. And she goes, Robbie, you can't get up to preach. She goes, he'll, he'll do it. He's a killer. He'll do it. She goes, please don't get up. She goes, put Carlos Lopez, the worship pastor, up instead. <laughs> and I was like, that's your plan is that he gets popped in the head instead of me. But Carlos had come out of that gang, you know, into our church. And so I think she thought maybe he would be, I'll give him a little bit more of an easy way out or something. And so I said, no, we're not going to do that. I said, listen, I said, here's the thing. Don't you tell anybody what he threatened. And I said, he's just mouthing off. He's mad. I said, by this time next week, he'll, he'll calm down. I said, you stick to what you said and honor God and God will honor you. I said, but don't, don't be afraid of this. Don't be upset about this. And I said, I said he, he'll cool down and he'll be fine. I said, he's not even going to show up. So the next Sunday, I'm sitting in my office and I'm kind of pulling my thoughts together and praying a little bit. And Carlos comes running in the office and he throws the door open and he's like, dude, which is kind of like saying pastor in our context. He goes, dude, he goes, Hitler's downstairs. He just walked in the door and he's strapping. And he says, he's got, he says, I saw the gun down the back of his pants and under his shirt. And he goes, dude, please don't ask me to disarm him. And I was like, no, no, I'm not going to ask you to disarm him. I said, but don't tell anybody. I said, you haven't told anybody this, have you? He goes, no. I said, don't tell anybody. I said, I don't want people being afraid. I said, but tell the girl who's supposed to do announcements. I'm going to do announcements instead. And he goes, do you want to do worship too? I was like, no, you're going to do worship. I'm going to do announcements. And I said, you know, but I said, just be calm. And I said, but let's just keep our eye on him. And he's like, okay, okay, okay. So we go down and, and sure enough, I walk in and he's sitting right on the second row of the, in the church. And, and I get up and I wish I could say I was totally calm and confident, but I get up and I'm like, welcome to the vineyard. I mean, we're so happy to have all of you here. And my hands are shaking a little bit. And people in the back are going, oh, look, the Holy Spirit's already hitting Robbie. Isn't that sweet? More, Lord. Just uh, give him more. You know, and I'm up there. And I'm moving really fast. I'm like, bathroom's over here. Children's ministry. I, I am moving quick. If he's going to take a shot, he better be fast because I'm going to be a moving target. Man, I'm not going to make it easy for him. And I finished part two on sex. I didn't change a word, didn't change anything, even recapped from the last week. And I get up, but I keep watching him. But it was really strange because he was sitting there and his head was cocked to the side. And he was looking straight ahead. And I would move this way and this way. And his eyes would never move. And I was like, what's going on? And so I finished the message and I got up and I gave a call for ministry. People started coming for him. I kept watching him. And all of a sudden he goes... And he gets up and he just looks really puzzled and he quietly walks out. I'm like, what happened? And so she calls my house later that afternoon and she goes, what happened there? She didn't show up because she was scared. And she says, what happened? And I said, well, I said, he came, he sat. I told her, I said, that's strange. He didn't move. Nothing really happened. She goes, that's so weird. I said, what did he say? She said, he just came home and said, that's the weirdest church I've ever been to. He goes, I'm never going back to those places. That place is crazy. And he said, that that was it. And I said, I don't know. Well, several months passed and the Chicago PD and Aurora Police Department uh, did this big sting and they arrested 23 of the top Latin Kings throughout, most of them in Aurora, but throughout the Chicagoland area because Latin Kings is the largest gang outside of the mafia. And so um, in Chicago, so the number one guy they were after, Hitler. And so they arrested him. They had six charges of murder on him. And so uh, his brother, his street name is Pistol Pete, and he's a drug dealer, and he goes to our church. And, and so I walked up to him the next Sunday, and I said, hey, I said, you go tell Hitler I'm coming to see him on Thursday. 
And he goes, dude, he's in isolation. He goes, I can't get word to him. And I said, don't lie to him. I said, tell him I'm coming to see him. And he said, okay. So I showed up that next Thursday and I walked in and the guy comes in. He's got the orange jumper on. His hands are cuffed. His legs are shackled. And he comes shuffling in. I've never seen anybody so angry in my entire life. And he walks in and he goes, what do you want? And I looked at him and I said, well, I want to talk to you. And he goes, well, I got a question for you. And I said, what's that? And he goes, what did you do to me that day I came to your church? I said, what? And I said, what are you talking about? He goes, what did you do to me? He goes, did you hex me? I said, dude, I have no idea what you're talking about. He goes, as soon as I sat down in that chair, I was frozen and I couldn't move. He goes, my nose was itching the whole time and I couldn't scratch it. It was driving me crazy. He goes, what did you do to me? And I said, I didn't do anything to you, Hitler. I said, let me tell you what happened. And I said, God stopped you from doing something that was going to damage your life. I said, God stopped you from doing something stupid. I said, Hitler, here's the deal, man. I said, you, you've worked so hard to build this life for yourself. And I said, this life that you've built for yourself that you thought was so cool and so awesome has turned out to be nothing but jacked up and busted and messed up and twisted. And I said, and you're looking and nothing's working right and it's landed you here in this prison. And you thought it was so cool for a while, but now you're looking and going, it's not so cool anymore because it's all busted and twisted and jacked up. And I said, here's the deal that Jesus has on the table for you. He has this other life that he made for you before you were even born. The life you were designed to live. The perfect life that, were, that was made for you. But you've settled for this jacked up life. And I said, Jesus is saying to you right now, let's do an exchange. I'll take the jacked up life and I'll give you the life you were always made to live. And I was just using basic street terms that he would understand. And I said, Hitler, that's what Jesus is offering to you today. Will you take the deal? And he shoves away from the table and he goes, that deal's not for me. He goes, that deal's for people like you and Mother Teresa or Billy Graham. He goes, that's not for me. He goes, Robbie, he goes, six murders. He goes, they think they know what I've done. He goes, that's not even half of it. He later confessed to me he killed 18 people. Literally burned a man alive and looked through the window of his car and laughed at him as he died. And he goes, I've gone too far. He goes, the deal's not for me. I looked at him. I said, Hitler, I know what you're thinking. I said, but dude, you don't understand. I said, this is the Bible. And I said, we call this the holy word of God. God inspired men to write these words. And I said, Hitler, here's the deal. I said, this portion of the Bible is called the New Testament. Again, we call this the Holy Scripture, words direct from God. And I said, dude, half of this New Testament was written by a murderer. That God chose to write what we call Holy Scripture today. I said, Hitler, do you see? The deal is still on the table. And he looked at me and he dropped his head and he just burst into tears. And he said, I'll take the deal. And right there I prayed with him and watched this man give his life to Jesus. Tears streaming down his face. His brother later taught, when I told his brother the story, he looked at me and he said, you saw Hitler cry? And I said, yeah. He said, Robbie, I've never seen him cry. Ever in my entire life. 
He said, matter of fact, the only time he goes, even, even when my stepfather, when he was six years old, beating him till he was nearly dead, I never saw Hitler shed one tear or ever even cry out in pain. He said, matter of fact, the only time I've ever seen him laugh is when he was torturing people. And he goes, you saw him cry. And I said, yeah. And as soon as he was done, as soon as he prayed, he lifted up his head tears streaming down his face and he rolls his shoulders and this huge smile came across his face and he began to giggle like a little kid and he goes it's gone he goes it's gone and it was like right out of the book Pilgrim's Progress he says it's like I've had this huge rock strapped to my back and he goes as soon as I prayed that prayer he goes it was a rock of shame anger rage and hatred and he goes it snapped right off my back and he goes it's gone it's gone and about that time the guard comes walking in and he says all right time to get back to your cell he jumps up and he goes yes sir and the guard's like hey what's going on here and i was like I would go back every week and I would go through scripture with him and every other week rather. And we would sit there and we would go through. Hitler could barely read. So I had to buy him a children's picture Bible. And he would sit there and he would look at these little cartoon characters of stories we would go through of Joseph and all these things. And I would tell him, I said, you see, we do what Jesus says. Even when it's hard, even when we think it's going to be hurtful to us, we always do what Jesus says. And Jesus always comes through. And whatever happens, it's always God's best because Jesus always has our back. And we just go through that over and over. And I said, so we do what you do what Jesus says, not what the lawyers say, not what others says. We follow what Jesus says. And he was looking. And listen, and for weeks we just went over that. And after a couple of months, one day we were talking through this story, and he was looking at this, and he looked up from his Bible at me, and he goes, Robbie. And I said, Yeah, Hitler. He said, Dude, I gotta get my story out. I said, What do you mean? He goes, Robbie, I gotta get my story out. He goes, Robbie, people don't know how far Jesus will go for them. And I don't think anybody's telling them. He said, they don't know that you can want to spit in the face of God because you hate him so much. That you could be so enraged at him and you could even want to kill one of his guys. And Jesus will choose him to come tell you the greatest news that you've ever heard. He goes, Robbie, people don't know that. No one's telling them. I looked at him and I said, Hitler, dude, I love you. But I said, dude, I'm afraid that could get you the needle. That could get you popped by the kings. And I don't want that to happen. I said, I don't want you to die, man. You know what he said to me? He held up that little children's picture Bible and he said, you told me they all died for this. He said, you told me this was worth giving everything for. And now you're going to tell me I should try to save my own skin. He said, Robbie, the past few months in this stinking, rotten prison have been the best months of my entire life. And if they take me out today, it would be worth it. And he said, Robbie, people don't know how far Jesus will go. And I don't think anybody's telling them. And I said, dude. You get it. You get it. (laughs) 
Oh, that we, the church, would get it how Hitler got it. Will you lend him your boat? Will you lend him your boat when it can mean your reputation? Will you lend him your boat when it can mean others mocking you? Will you lend him your boat when it can mean your life? Will you just say, because you say so, we will, simply because you say so. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your presence. I thank you for the power of your spirit. I thank you for all the boats that are in this room right now. All the lives. Maybe you're here. Maybe you've made the commitment before, but you haven't followed through. Or maybe you've never made the commitment before. Or maybe you've just been satisfied with just being a Christian means coming and hearing a good message and going home and trying to be nice. But that's not enough. And today you're willing to say, I'm just going to give you my boat no matter what. No matter what. No matter where you ask me to go, no matter what you tell me to do. Today, all that I have and all that I am is yours, no matter what. If that's you, just stand right now. doesn't matter how long you feel you've been serving God. You may have been in church your whole life. That's not what I'm talking about. But everything that I have and everything that I am from this day forward is yours. Father, you see these courageous people standing. And what's standing in this room right now is enough to change this entire state for you. Holy Spirit, fill them now. Empower them. Ruin them where the average, the mundane, the ordinary becomes tasteless. And spending ourselves in the extravagance of who you are is what we abandon ourselves to. 
invite the rest of you to stand. I want to invite the ministry team to come up here right now. And if you want prayer for anything, maybe you just want to give all to God. Maybe you want to pray for more of his presence on your life. Maybe you're here and you need healing in your body. God can heal you today. Maybe you just need a refreshing touch from him. Maybe you just need God to help you sort your priorities out. Whatever it is, we want to pray for you. Father, I just thank you for your presence and I thank you for all those here. Holy Spirit, continue to move. Help us not to walk away from here and forget the stirring in our hearts right now. Or just write it off as a moving message. Father, let it ruin us. Let it invade our dreams. Let it invade every part of who we are. like prayer, feel free to come forward. I just want to encourage you as you leave this place today, you don't leave church. You leave to go be the church. Christ in you is the hope of the world. So as you go today, you go to be the church. God bless you. You're dismissed.